Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. How many of you would rather be here than the best snowstorm in America? How many of you? That's good. To those of you who might be in a snowstorm today, we want to say welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're here on the internet. I want to uh, say welcome also to those of you who are maybe in the warehouse or the chapel uh, or one of our campuses. Uh, we're glad that you are along for the ride too. Hey, you know what? Uh, this weekend we are concluding a series, short series, on the life of Jonah. And I have the task of finishing it. And it's going to be interesting because I think I'm going to share some things with you that many of us uh, really didn't know. Um, we didn't realize because most of what we know about Jonah we learned in Sunday school. How many of you went to church when you were a kid and you heard the story of Jonah and the whale? How many of you did that? Well, here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to review that story with you because it will kind of review the series and then we're going to give you the rest of the story. Is that fair enough? So what I thought was, I went to Sunday school back in the day. It was back when Noah was on the ark and they used flannel boards back then. How many of you were ever a part of a flannel graph deal? Okay, so here's what I did. I got this crazy idea this week about Thursday. I said, I want to tell the story and use a flannel graph. Well, wouldn't you know, they don't really have those anymore. And so uh, I'm going to do it on a 21st century model, uh, which is a video screen. Does that make sense? All right, so here we go. I'm going to tell you as if you were my Sunday school class. Are you ready, boys and girls? <laughs> Once upon a time, there was this old grumpy prophet named Jonah. Hmm, he looks kind of like Shaggy on Scooby-Doo <laughs> with a unibrow. And so he was kind of minding his own business and God came and asked him to do something. He said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to pronounce judgment on that city. Well, Jonah didn't want to go because Nineveh was a very, very, very bad place. The people there were terrible, kind of like Pittsburgh Steeler fans. We're telling a Bible story here, okay? <laughs> so Jonah didn't want to go. So he went down to the port in the city and he hopped on a boat going the other direction. Last week we taught you that when God calls and He speaks to you to go somewhere, there's always a boat going the other direction. Well, that was good except for when it got bad because there was a terrible, terrible storm. How bad was the storm? It was so bad that even the boat was afraid. And so Jonah, Jonah says to the people on the boat, he says, I am the problem. If you will throw me overboard, I'm running away from God, the storm will stop. And so they threw him overboard and sure enough, the storm stopped and everybody on the boat knew that God was God. But Jonah had a problem. He's going to drown. But God works a miracle. There's a big fish that swallows Jonah, scares him so bad, he loses all of his hair and his unibrow parts. 
Now, this is the part of the story where intelligent adults say it must be a fairy tale once upon a time and all of that because there's no way a whale can swallow a guy alive. And you're right, it wasn't a whale. We were kind of taught it was a whale because that's the only reference we had. It was actually a big fish. They've done some study on big fish and there are some very, very, very big fish in the area where this story happened that they found things as large as uh, horses that were swallowed alive. So a big fish could swallow a human being. You say, yeah, but could he stay in there three days? Well, that's the miracle part. So Jonah is in the belly of the whale. Now, this really scared him. Scared him so bad he got his hair back, unibrow. What was he afraid of? There were aliens in the, in the belly of the whale. And so Jonah cries out to God. And he says, God, if you'll just rescue me, I'll do what you want me to do. And so God provides not only a miraculous place for him to stay, but the, uh, the large fish uh, kind of barfs Jonah up on the shore. And uh, those of you who are worried about the fish because he's on the shore, there were some environmentalists that came and carefully picked the fish up, put him back into the water. But Jonah at this point says, God, I'll do what you want to do. And so God reissues his call. Jonah gets up, gets a Starbucks, and he goes to Nineveh. And he preaches judgment on Nineveh, at which point this terrible city totally repents, cries out to God, believes in the one true God. Jonah is the hero, and everybody lives happily ever after. Right? Well, that's how we heard it, but that's not exactly how the story ends. In fact, as we're going to find out today, the story ends with Jonah, a bitter old man, resenting God's grace. He couldn't get past the fact that God was giving someone grace and mercy that deserved judgment. So, is there anybody here today, or maybe online, that... Has somebody in your life that you'd rather them face judgment than receive grace? Can you think of somebody like that? Someone you'd really be disappointed if they had a house in heaven next to yours for eternity. That wouldn't make it heaven for you. It'd make it the other place. Are you thinking of somebody? Now there's some of you, right away, there was a person that came to mind. For others of us, I'm going to help you in a few minutes to kind of see if there's anybody like that in our life. But the important question is not those people and what God does in their life, but the important question, like Jonah's, is how will your story end? How does the story of Jonah end? What I want to do is we're all really familiar with the first two chapters of Jonah. My assignment is to teach the last two chapters of Jonah, which is just a little bit more difficult. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Uh, chapter 3 and chapter 4. They're not very long. And then we'll make application and see what we can learn from our lives on them. So if you have a Bible, you can look at Jonah chapter 3. And if not, you'll be able to follow along uh, just fine. Verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. This is after uh, the fish has deposited him on the shore. Uh, God spoke to Jonah a second time. He says, get up. And go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message of judgment that I have given you. 
This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and he went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days uh, to see it all. And on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they decided to go without food and wear sackcloth cloth to show their sorrow. And when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. And he dressed himself in sackcloth and sat on a heap of ashes. And then the king, his nobles, and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals, may eat or drink anything at all. What he does is he declares a fast. Now at Seacoast, we um, have a fast that we declare together every year. uh, January, the first 21 days of January, we have an awakening fast. It's been a great game changer for me spiritually over the last three years. But when we declare the fast, it's different than theirs in a couple of ways. Number one, there's no way we can legally make everybody do it. We don't want to anyway. We just ask you to join if you would and believe that God will speak to your life. Secondly, if you do join the fast, we don't ask that you make your dogs and cats do the same thing. But in this situation, he said all the animals, everything has to fast. It was a serious deal. Everyone is required to wear sackcloth and pray earnestly to God. Everyone must turn from their evil ways and stop all of their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will have pity on us and hold back His fierce anger from destroying us. And when God saw that they had put a stop to their evil ways, He had mercy on them and didn't carry out the destruction that He had threatened. That's good news, right? I mean, this is a miracle, gang. The the fish was a miracle. This is a miracle. Probably the most violent, worst society in the history of the world. You look up Nineveh, some of the things, where was it? it was, it's right across the river from Mosul, Iraq. It was, um, uh, people say, perhaps just evil, vile, vile, violent place. And in one day, the whole city uh, changes. It would be like, if in one day Charleston, Charleston in no way can be compared to Nineveh in the violence or anything like that, but it would be like in one day everybody in Charleston repented of every wrong thing that they'd done. Every cheater became honest. Every strip club closes. Every drug dealer quits selling drugs. Everybody repents. Newspaper would have nothing bad to report on. It would just be a great, it'd be a miracle. And that is what happened. So that's good news. Well, you'd think so, but let's read chapter 4. This change of plans upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. He's an interesting character. I mean, you know, you would think that when he ran away to go the other direction, when God called him to go to Nineveh, it was because he was afraid of these people in Nineveh, but it really wasn't. He wasn't afraid of them. I think he, he, he understood the power of God. And he wasn't afraid. What he was afraid of is that God would change his mind. He thought, these people have done horrible things. They deserve judgment. But he goes on, look what he says. 
He says, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. I knew how easily you could cancel your plans for destroying these people. So just kill me now. Lord, I'd rather be dead than alive because nothing I predicted is going to happen. God, it's all about me. You're blowing it. You're not doing a good job. If I was God, I would do it differently. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Now, watch this. So it says, then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and he made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see if anything would happen to the city. This is the best we could do in Charleston. <laughs> he goes out. He's mad because God is not going to do the destruction that he said he was. So he goes out. He sits on a lawn chair at the edge of the city and he hopes that God will change his mind and, you know, fry him like a bratwurst on a Weber grill. He's just waiting to watch these awful people get destroyed. I mean, this guy's got a terrible attitude. And the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. I mean, Jonah's got a bad attitude, but God goes, you know, as so long as you're going to have a bad attitude and sit out in the sun, I'll grow you a plant so that it'll provide some shade for you. That's the mercy of the Lord. And soon it spread its leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased some of his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful. God always has a purpose for the stuff that he does. Look at the next one. But God also prepared a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it soon died and withered away. Same worm got to our umbrella. It's got holes in it all over the place. And as the sun grew hot, God sent a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. And the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, retorted Jonah, even enough to die. If you're the parent of a toddler, you know what the problem is. Jonah does not have a happy heart. And so he needs to fold his hands, get some self-control, take some deep breaths until he can find a happy heart. But he doesn't find one. In fact, the next verse, it says, Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there? It came quickly and died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? The end. That's a lousy ending for a book. You go, where's chapter 5? I mean, if I would have written my book and had an ending like this, you guys would have brought it back and said it's terrible. Publishers would never have published it. Because it's a, I mean, there's, there's no, you know, happy ending. There's no ride off into the sunset. No, you know, they lived happily ever after. It's just a grumpy old prophet sitting in a lawn chair feeling sorry for himself and hating the world. The end. So what can we learn from that? Well, I've got three ideas, three things that really struck me this week as I was studying this, that we can learn from a grumpy old prophet. In fact, I'm going to, learn, I'm, I'm going to call it th uh, three lessons from a pouting prophet. Here's the first one. God can use people who do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. God can use people 
who do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. God can love through you even when you're not loving through Him. God can use you if you have a lousy attitude. God can use you if you're grumpy. God can use you if every third word out of your mouth is something nobody ought to hear. God can use you to do what He wants to accomplish. Now, it's not ideal. That's not a good thing. But it can happen. Have you ever heard God only uses pure vessels? God can never use an unclean vessel. Well, that's well-meaning and it's great, but it's not entirely true. Because Jonah was a dirty vessel. Would you agree with that? Jonah was selfish. It was all about him. He was hard-hearted. When it comes down to it, he has no pity, no compassion. But listen to me. God used Jonah to save an entire city. God can use people who do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. Here's the principle. The power of God is not limited to our purity. Let me give you two thoughts on this. One relating to you and one relating to other people. Other people first. It can be disheartening when God uses a dirty vessel, someone who is unclean, someone who does all the right things with all the wrong motivations and wrong lifestyle, especially when it's a spiritual leader in your life. I can remember um, when I was pastoring uh, the church in northern Illinois, small farming community, and we were struggling. We had about 70 or 80 people at that time. And there was a... um, there was, and there's nothing wrong with having 70 or 80 people. It's just that we weren't going anywhere and we're, you know, just, we, we just needed spiritual revival among us. And uh, there was a guy who, um, he was an evangelist at the time and he was becoming quite famous. He would go to various cities and he'd always go to a church first and they'd start in a church building and then they'd, they'd have to move into the largest facility in whatever city he was in because the crowds were so huge. This guy was powerful. He would preach in a powerful way. And then at the end of the sermon, he would, the, God would move through him to do uh, just, I, just incredible things, gifts of the Spirit, just things I had never seen before in my life. And uh, some of the people in our church were talking about you know, what we needed to do. And they said, well, you need to go watch him. And you need to go see him. For two reasons, I could tell. One of, one of them they told me, the other one they didn't. One was so maybe he will come here to our church and the other was so maybe you'll be more like him. So I drove several hours to go see him and I spoke in this big uh, room and did incredible things, just unbelievable things. Then they took him to a hotel and I I bluffed my way in and got to actually go in with him and security and all this and hung out with him for a while. And I saw a whole different picture because behind the scenes this guy was in serious sin he was greedy he was an alcoholic he was a sexual predator i mean not just my opinion um, ultimately it it got to him but i saw it and as i'm driving home 
I certainly didn't ask him to come be a part of our deal. And I, as I was driving home, I cried out to God. I was confused. I thought, God, how can you use somebody like that? Or are you really using them? Is that all just, you know, it's it not really happening? And I had all kinds of stuff. I thought, and, and people, I'm doing my best to serve you. And people in my church want me to be like him because all they see is the public deal and they don't see what a hollow individual he is. And all kinds of questions. It was confusing to me for a long time. There are some of you who maybe you were in a church that was abusive. Or maybe you were under leadership in some way. Or it, it may have been a pastor. Or it could have even been a parent who, you know, I mean, they acted so holy and, and spiritual out in front of everybody. And you knew that it wasn't that way. You had a pastor that was abusive in, in some way. And so it was devastating. And you began to think, first of all, how, how could God use somebody like that and then you begin to question, well, maybe God isn't using them. And then you begin to question the good things that God has done in your life through that ministry. And you go, well, maybe it wasn't true. And some of you walked away from God. And you're bitter at God. See, I'm not saying they were right. But here's what I am saying. Is that they were who God used to reach you. Um, why did God use Jonah at Nineveh? Because God had a heart for that city. And Jonah was the, the best thing that he could use at that particular time for whatever reason. And so he used a flawed, imperfect person to go and preach the good news to Jonah or to Nineveh, even though he had a bad attitude. And God loved you and He loved your church and He loved the people there enough that He, that he used an imperfect person to reach you. Now, there's always collateral damage and it's not always best. Jonah, Jonah never got it. Uh, you won't find Jonah in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith. I asked some of my you know, theological friends, I said, is there... You know, is there any indication that Jonah repented? Is there any indication that Jonah did better? And there isn't. The book ends with Jonah sitting in a lawn chair, holes in his umbrella, baking in the hot sand, thinking suicidal thoughts and an angry argument with God about God's mercy to Nineveh. But God's heart for the city and God's heart for you trump Jonah's bad attitude because the power of God is not limited to our purity. Now here's a, another thought along that same line. I said one was about other people, one is about you. Um, if you ever decide to step up and be used by God, maybe it's to, you know, to take responsibility to care for the spiritual uh, condition of a group of kids or you know, be a part of a small group or an accountability group or a missional community or you decide, you know, I'm going to uh, follow God in spiritual disciplines and, you know, I'm going to learn to, to study the Word or to pray. I'm going to begin to tithe. Or maybe it's um, you're, you're going to go and serve people who are less advantaged than you are. Or you decide you're going to love somebody uh, at work or at school that 
um, that other people don't, and you're, you know, it could be anything, okay, anything, anything, anything. When you decide you're going to step into significance, there's almost always a voice in your head that says, how can you think about loving your neighbor? You can't even love your husband. You can't even love your wife. You don't even do a good job of loving your kids. How can you serve in the church? You can't even be consistent with your time with God. Or some of you are hearing this today, right now, in this place. You shouldn't be here. You're such a hypocrite. You know where you were last night. You know where you were this week. You know what you've done. You sh- you don't, you're not worthy enough. And you're not good enough to be here. Have you ever heard those kind of voices? Can I tell you this? When you hear those things, it's the enemy of your soul, Satan. And you need to tell him to take a flying leap because the power of God is not limited to your own purity. It's not about you. It's about God. And he will use who he wants to use when he wants to use them. Now, (laughs) there are consequences to our lifestyle. And we ought to be... uh, wanting to serve God and follow God in any way that we can. And God loves you just the way that you are, but He loves you too much to leave you there. And if it takes pain to get you to move forward, He will, he will take the umbrella and He'll cause a worm to eat it so the hot sun bakes down on you so that you change your ways. Do you understand that? But God will use whoever He wants to use because it's not about you. It's about the people that God wants to love through you. And even when you love them imperfectly, God will love through you. Here's the second thing you can learn from a pouty prophet. It's hard to feel sorry for someone when you secretly wish they would die. I mean, this is deep stuff. Let me ask you a question. How many of you know someone that you secretly wish would die? Don't point or raise your hand. Here's where I'm going to help you. Because some of you are so pure and holy, you say, I never have those thoughts. Really? All right, maybe it's, let let me give you some categories. Maybe you're single and it's romantically. Maybe you had an eye for a girl or a guy and you invested in and you thought it was going somewhere and somebody else stepped in and they got the girl or the guy. How do you feel about them? You secretly wish they could die. You smile, but uh, you'd love them to be gone. Or maybe it's an ex. I hear stories all the time. Heartache. An ex who seems to delight in making your life miserable. They seem to delight in making things hard. Uh, You may be in a joint custody situation. And uh, it just, the stories I've heard. And let let me say this. Do not share what you're feeling and what you're about and what's going on with your kids. I see way too often people using the kids as leverage one way or another. Hey, grow up. Be a man. Be a woman. Take it. Okay? Take it. It's not about you. It's more about the kids. But deep inside, there's hurts. And you you go, why do they act like this? And you wish secretly that they would die. It would be a lot easier. Okay? Some of you, it's about business. There's a competitor at business, and it seems like they get all the bricks. You work hard. You do good. You don't cheat all this kind of stuff, and somebody else gets the breaks. In fact, you've got a better product or you sell your product better or whatever, but it doesn't matter because they get the breaks. And secretly inside, 
If not die, you wish they'd go bankrupt. Okay? And then there's the really bad guys that we feel better about, you know, our feelings on. Like the group that you probably read about recently in Philadelphia that kept mentally challenged people chained in a basement and they were, they were ripping them off for their, their checks. And, and, and you read that story and you went, you know, they, they ought to die. They deserve death. And maybe they do. Or maybe it's the Islamic fundamentalists intent on killing Jews and Christians just because of who we are. Or maybe it's the gangs who abuse innocent people in every city, including ours. And one of them, when one of them gets theirs, you go, you know what? They deserved it. And you feel justified in that. Here's the deal. What if God called you to share the love of Jesus with one of those groups? Because that's exactly what He called Jonah to do. When God called Jonah to Nineveh, He didn't call him to a great group of people. These were the scum of the earth. And God says, I want you to go pronounce judgment because I want to bless them. You know, God is calling us to do the same thing. Some of us He will call directly. Some of, some of us He will say, I want you to move across from your city into another part of the city because I want to put you there because I want to bless that part of the city and I want you to live in that area. That's what I want you to do. Some of us, God will say, I want you to move your family to another country and I, I want you to go. And I want you to go somewhere where they have nothing in common with you. They may even hate you simply because of the color of your skin, the size of your checkbook, or the name on your passport. God may call some of us to do that, just a few. But all of us are called daily to share the love of Jesus with people who don't love us. Uh, In fact, Jesus said it this way. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44, he says, But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. He says, you're supposed to to love your enemies, bless your enemies, do good to your enemies, and pray for them. I said a few weeks ago, if if you'll pray for them first, the others are more natural. That's something that God wants us to do every day. And there are people that, for whatever reason, treat you wrong. Um... And, and so we're, we're, we're to love them with the love of Jesus. Why? Because God has loved us. Um, Jonah didn't have to look very far to see examples of God's grace in his life. He's a rebel that God saves miraculously. I mean, God could have let him drown, but he sent a fish. God gave him shade while he pouted. He didn't have to do that. And then... Instead of exploding in rage over Jonah's nasty attitude, God asks him a series of questions. He reasons together with him. But Jonah is the same as us. He has a hard time extending grace to others. We want grace for us, but we want the truth for everybody else, right? And so, and so, and so you, uh, God can use imperfect people. Um, God, it's, it's real, real hard to love people when you're, you're, you're thinking that you just wish that they'd go away. Let me give you one more thing as we kind of wrap this series up. How do you do it? How, how do you love people? How do you extend grace to people uh, that maybe you secretly do want them to die? It's kind of the third idea from here. Before you write somebody off, ask God to let them see you or let you see them from His point of view. Before you write someone off, before you write off the president of the Homeowners Association, Before you write off the drug dealer that hangs out on your corner, 
Before you write off the family member that's fallen off the wagon again. Before you write off the person who's telling lies about you and cheating on you and you wish they were dead. Before you do that, ask God to see them from His point of view. That's what, what I want to do is I want to try, just for about five minutes here, I want to try to open up those last three verses that are really confusing. Because I think that's what God's doing with Jonah. He's saying, I love Nineveh based on three things. First, there was the worm factor. The worm factor. Jonah 4.9. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Jonah says, yes. Even angry enough to die. Guess what? That's not the right answer. So, why did the plant die? Remember the plant was what grew up over the chair in order for Jonah to you know, not be baked by the sun. Why did the plant die? Because of a worm. Because of a worm. God used the worm. God will use... God never creates evil, but He will sometimes use things that are evil in order to bring about good. The worm. The worm. There was a worm at work. Have you ever bit into an apple or some kind of fruit that had a worm in it? I have. It's not a pleasant experience. Let me tell you what I did. is I threw the apple, the worm, and everything as far as I could. God said there was a worm in the people at work in the people of Nineveh ever since I planted it. I didn't plant it that way. I didn't desire it that way. But from the very beginning, when I planted this group of people, Nineveh, there was a worm at work. There was evil at work. Satan, the God of this world, is blinding them. You need to realize, remember that when somebody lets you down, when somebody takes advantage of you, or worse, there's a worm at work. Um, the New Testament says it this way. I don't have the scripture in your outline sheet. But it says, we don't war. Our warfare isn't the same as um, other warfare that you see. We don't war against flesh and blood. It's not people that is the concern. Our warfare are against uh, spiritual darkness. It's against rulers in high places. And don't ever forget that. When somebody is, is wrong, when somebody is doing something evil, understand there is a worm at work. Satan is at work. He is blinding them. And so remember that. Don't get angry at the fruit necessarily. Get angry at the worm. Uh, why did God uh, have pity on Nineveh? There was the investment factor. Uh, verse 10. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, but you, didn't, but you did nothing to put it there. And the plant is only at best short-lived. He's comparing the plant to Nineveh. He says, You did nothing to put it there. Nineveh is not short-lived. And guess what? I, I planted it. I invested in it. I worked it. God had labored over Nineveh and made it to grow. He built the city and He didn't build it on rock and roll. He built that city. He invested... Just getting it, okay? Jefferson Starship, 1985. He just... Somebody asked me last night and it just... I, I have memory for these things. Anyway, there isn't a city in the world that isn't dependent on the hand of God. He built every city. You say, well, there's waterworks, there's sewer, there's government, there's education, there's arts and entertainment and all that stuff. Where did it come from? Where did it come from? It came through people that God created, that He gifted from the foundations of the world, that He gave gifts, He gave power, He gave abilities. 
We use them in whatever way that we, that we will. God has invested in every city. A lot of us have the attitude about our stuff of the preacher who bought a piece of land. It was overgrown with weeds and swamps and junk. And over a number of years, he worked hard on the land and he, he tilled it and fertilized it. And every day he'd do a little bit something to it. Finally, he had just beautiful, you know, uh, gardens and water features and all this. And he invited his friend over to see it. And his friend said, God has really blessed you with a beautiful piece of land. The preacher said, you should have seen it when God had it all to himself. <laughs> God gives us gifts. And so when you see a city or a group of people or a neighborhood, and you're ready to write them off, you need to know that God has invested in them. He hasn't written them off yet. Then there's the innocence factor. That's the third thing. Verse 11. Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Shouldn't I feel sorry for them? Um, It sounds real similar to when Jesus prayed on the cross. These are the people that have crucified Him. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, is ignorance the equivalence of innocence? No. But you know what? God has grace. God has grace and He has compassion anyway. So before you write somebody off, even if they're still in their rebellion and sin, you remember God's compassion. You know, this weekend, there are some of us here that we may feel a little bit like Jonah. We may feel stuck. And we're stuck at fair. Not at the fair. You get stuck there and that's miserable. (laughs) But we're stuck at fair. It's not fair. I didn't get a fair shake. Somebody else not as good as me or somebody who doesn't deserve what my family deserves or somebody who deserves much less than my kids seems to be getting away with it or being blessed. And it's okay to want justice. But don't let your desire for justice leave you bitter. Let God handle it. It may be time for you to resign as general manager of your own universe. Newsflash, you're not doing that well anyway. Let God be God. Say, God, wherever you want me to go, Whatever you want me to do, whoever you want me to bless, let me be a part of what you're doing. Don't get stuck. Don't get bitter. Let God be God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for this wonderful group of people who have gathered together today to worship you. Some of us don't feel worthy to be here, and today you're going to lavish your grace on us. Others of us, we feel like there are people that are taking advantage of your grace and we act as if you don't know it. And today we're going to let you be God. God, I pray that you would cleanse our hearts, that you would draw us to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.